how do we decide to adopt tooling and find libraries that do what we need to do? I think a very important thing is that we don't want the implementation details to bleed through. The end user who's using Nuxt shouldn't need to worry about what's under the hood. They shouldn't have to tie their code into what we're using, because that means if something happens with an, an, a library or an implementation that we're using, that means we need to pivot or swap or, I don't know, do something. You, you don't want that to be a breaking thing for everyone who's using your app. Welcome to the PodRocket Podcast. I'm Noel. Uh, today we're welcoming back Daniel Rowe. Daniel is a framework architect and Nuxt core team member. Uh, he's joining us today specifically to talk about his latest conference talk from VeetConf, uh, how Veet makes Nuxt possible. Did I get that right? Uh, yeah, that, that, that was it. Awesome, awesome. How are you? How are you today? Do you know I'm, I'm, I'm well. It's, uh, it's, been a, it's been a good day today. Um, and I've got a, a cup of hot chocolate which is absolutely the right call right now. It's uh, in the evening in the UK. Uh, it's the kind of weather where a fire would absolutely be the right right thing to have. And I feel that my my hot chocolate is is a good <laughs> getting me a good part of the way to that the, the cozy autumn feel. Oh, nice. Yeah, my wife and I got back from a trip to Scotland like a week ago, and we were at this little uh, bed and breakfast near portree i think i think that was the town they had yeah like little f- fires in the kind of i don't know like reading parlor room every night it was excellent it was so good that sounds <laughs> incredible that's 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 a good holiday yeah it was it was perfect it was like quiet and calm scotland was lovely i'd never been like north really of london at all so it was it was great yeah there's there's so much so much in the north um Northumberland, uh, just just south of, of Scotland, is a, is an amazing county to visit as well. Has I think more castles per mile than uh, than any other uh, place oh, in England, yeah. and for England, that's saying quite a lot. Yeah, there's so there's so many. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. I know. <laughs> yeah, yes. You 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 tend to go go to a little little village, and and there are these blue plaques that sort of say things like you know Charles Darwin's first tortoise lived and died here and uh that kind of kind of thing no it's all good it's all good cool all right well i could like talk about travel and you know english geography for uh, at length probably but let's let's jump in a little bit excellent well okay i wasn't the direction i was expecting to go in but um no no let's let's talk about let's talk about next um maybe to even step back a little bit further can you kind of tell us a little about who you are and how you found yourself involved in this ecosystem sure uh, sure. So I so I'm uh, I'm one of the the team members of of the, the Nuxt team. Um, we're at, Nuxt is a, a framework for building web applications that uh, we have a focus on developer experience, uh, which which I kind of guess probably most frameworks would. Um, it's it's built on top of Vue. Um, Nuxt uh, Nuxt is it's it's progressive, so it tends to be very easy to get started. Whatever you're building, whether it's enterprise or personal, uh, and 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 then it's progressive, so you can you can customize it to your heart's desire. On top of that, I started. I joined. I uh, so I joined the the core team probably just over a year and a half ago. Um, before that, for a couple of months, I was a maintainer, I think. Whilst uh, and then before that, just an occasional uh, contributor. Uh, so I was I was uh, building a SaaS startup um, using Nuxt, and so really a lot of 
um, my appreciation for Nuxt and also my my the direction I want to take things and it's it's all based on personal experience. So this is this is the do do what you'd like to to, to see. What is um like what was your what was your draw to Nuxt originally? Why did you choose it for your project? So originally, the first time I came across Nuxt, I I was uh, the I had a small creative agency. And we, we were building sites for, for clients, uh, most often using WordPress. And we had a great stack on, on top of that. Um, if anyone uses WordPress, I totally shout out the, uh, the roots stack, uh, using composer to manage dependencies for, for WordPress and some really amazing other things there as well, like, uh, Trellis, which is a great DevOps platform, all kinds of, of cool stuff. But, uh, I think I think it was actually Jeffrey Way uh, and the whole Laracasts uh, uh, instruction course platform that first um, acquainted me with Vue. And I thought this is this is actually a really cool idea. This this idea of declaratively um, stating how the the data model of your application is connected to the view of like what displays on the screen. And, and, you know, this is shared across lots of frameworks, React and, and Vue. And, but it was, it, was, it was new to me, and I, I, I really thought it was a bit eye-opening. And so I, I started playing around with Vue and moved the agency a little bit. We started doing much more uh, in the way of uh, Vue-based applications. And I was looking for a framework built on Vue that would uh, do some of the work uh, that we were doing to render stuff to HTML rather than just producing a, a template with some curly braces in it. Uh, which was what we were uh, doing to start off with, and found Nuxt, and really never looked back. I, I I still remember one of my team when I told him that we were going to switch this new project we were working on from um, from WordPress to Nuxt. He he gave me so much grief. He was so annoyed because we, we were sort of maybe I think we were maybe even two days into it, and he had it started some work, and, and there I just turned everything over. But uh, he 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 came completely round, and he is a total fan of Nux now as well. So that was that was my my way in WordPress to Nux. Nice, nice, awesome. Yeah, I feel like um, people kind of just like getting onto into the Vue ecosystem and stuff. And that story, I mean, it's it's a similar story to like a lot of the more modern front end frameworks, which is like I tried it once and it was great, and then I never really thought about it too much anymore after that because like my problem was solved. Um, abs- well, I mean, abs- it, you, I mean, it's it's a bit it's a moving from the sort of the de- declarative. I want something to happen on the page. So I'm going to write some jQuery um, that's going to uh, go and find the thing that I want to change, and I'm going to make it change when something happens, which is also going to you know that's that that's a very intuitive model um, because you know you're sort of thinking of web pages as static first. They're sort of this canvas and you're going to have to draw on it and if something happens you're going to have to change that or rub it out and do something different so um th- it's it's really when you sort of first encounter um, any kind of you know something that's felt whatever it's, it's it's a bit of a i don't know it feels like your world has turned a little bit upside down thinking about um, an application as something it isn't static by default that is dynamic and reactive by default um uh, yeah as you say it's it's a sort of once you see it you, d- you don't go back yeah, and I, th- I think that that kind of declarative nature, even for um, you know, 
interactive apps, maybe or highly interactive apps before that were like had a lot of computed state and stuff. But as you said, we were like managing them with jQuery and stuff. It was it was kind of an interesting I, I feel like it's almost surprising to me reflecting now that that was kind of the norm that was settled on for so long because there's some there was so much state that was there but didn't really have any um like tangible reason for existing right other than just like oh we should just be updating an object that then should be being reflected on the dom like that is so intuitive and so common a pattern that it's it's almost surprising that it it took it took us as long as it did to get here and it's 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 such a source as well of of buggy code i mean i say as someone who's written my fair share of buggy code but that the idea that you are responsible yourself for flushing date, data changes to some kind of um, user interface. You know, that, that is the kind of thing where if you're responsible for it, you're just so many opportunities to shoot yourself in the foot. And I, I think in, actually in a similar way to the whole move towards state machines and the idea of, of um, uh, your application having discrete states and clear idea- ways of moving between them, um, and also discrete states that can clearly be debugged and and tested is a similar kind of thing, uh, because you, you you know you never want. I I I, I see it as analogous. I, I don't know if you agree, but sort of having a, a handful of boolean toggles that are like pending, true or false, you know, errored, true or false, um, you know, has user clicked confirm button, true or false, you know, that kind of thing just uh, uh, multiplies the possibilities without giving you any real way of managing sort of flow from one state to another state. Um, and I think it's a similar kind of, of thing in terms of debugging and the opportunity to introduce new bugs without realizing it. Um, and yeah, managing state without, without having something that's going to be sitting there ensuring that, that your state is then up to date with what you're displaying, I think is a yeah, similar kind of thing. Yeah. No, I, I totally agree, and I, and I think that, that that analogy is fair. I think the front end, in particular, to me, is is maybe a little bit clearer. Like, uh, I guess the domain is is more controlled, where versus like in the server, you know, in in, in like more just generic computational um, mediums. It's like, well, the state machines are nice. There is a lot of overhead though there. Like, if you're if you're doing you know some other. Um, there could be a lot of overhead in some in certain types of computation or something that are that are occurring, um, but I think with the, again the front end in particular just it, it is such a clear case of the the state should be largely observable. Like there's there's not that much computation actually happening like on the front end. You know, kind of as as we think of it, like hard logic stuff going on. That it, it, I think it was it's an easy. It's like it's easy to see the benefits very tangibly, very quickly for like declarative reactive programming in front end frameworks. <laughs> I mean, exactly, exactly, because um, the more you do that, the more that your code becomes about manipulating data, and you you stop being so concerned about um, how you are changing a, a user interface. So your code becomes much more business focused rather than UI focused, which is also a really helpful thing because that naturally leads you to use the tools of the browser like CSS to do the kind of visual, like transitions and things like that. I, I almost, unless there's a really strong reason for say, you know, uh, using animations uh, that have to be controlled by JavaScript, uh, as in it's one thing to toggle a class on and off. But uh, if you're talking about, you know, manually ticking a counter or something like that, uh, to 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 move something across the screen, 
Um, to me, that that's a bit of a code smell. Like you want the browser to be doing what it it's best at. And actually, this this move towards thinking about the data of your application as the source of truth, um, and then just letting stuff naturally happen on the screen is the similar kind of thing. I think to you talk about a class on or off, and then you let the browser do the animation part, um, rather than trying to, again to to. to sort of manage that imperatively. I mean, but I mean, in terms of thinking about the, the um, state machines, I mean, I certainly agree using a library like X state is, is of course great. I mean, it is an overhead, but even adopting state machines in principle. So having a, you know, a, uh, not having a toggle true or false for pending, but having some kind of status uh, variable that has a discrete state and but there's see there's only one so you're either going to be in state pending state fetching data state uh data error state i don't know whatever it is um and you know it's a, the poor man's state machine right it's a it's a it's not quite the same it doesn't have a sort of the clearly defined logic for how you move between states but at least it gets you away from the sort of weird world of success is set to true, but error is also set to true. And they're like, what, what do I display on the screen? Oh, yeah, I, I, I completely agree. Um, and yeah, I, th- I think that there is, it, it seems like we're pretty clearly on the path of like, um, even like the front end and the back end, but just um, maybe it's it's easier to talk about in the front end, it's like specifically, it's just like get the data from the server, like do whatever you need to do and like update the front end accordingly. Like we can just, we could be constantly polling. We could be having updates pushed like in a million ways, whatever the data is that's coming down from the server, do the thing, transform it and set it. It may be like for offline applications, that's not super clear. And you have that data coming from somewhere else, like user input on the device is the primary input source, but just like we can always take the state we're in and figure out what should be being displayed on the screen. And then handling the next state of input is not like that hard a thing to comprehend. But we've solved that big problem of like, but yes, but what about if X is true and Y is false? And Z is, you know, whatever, seven. <laughs> um, and I, I think that that, I think that that reality is becoming much more true. Um, I don't know, tangible, and we're having a lot less tricky front-end bugs because that trend seems to be occurring. Um, but I don't know, we're like, I'm way off track here, we're way down in the weeds. Um, no, I, I, th- I think you're right. I, we are moving in that direction. Yeah, but let's um, talk about, let's 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 go back to your talk. So what, what um, how Veet makes Nux possible, what, I guess, you know, a... Uh, uh, Someone coming in from the outside that knows that Nuxt exists and it existed before V would say like, well, how does it make it possible if it existed before? So uh, that's an interesting question. So uh, one of the things that I've been uh, probably the majority of my um, my development on Nuxt uh, over the last uh, year and a, bit, and a bit has been focused on Nuxt three. So th- the which is a Almost, which is actually, which is a completely rewritten version of Nuxt uh, from from the ground up. And one of the the uh, questions, there, there were there were a lot of th- uh, new technologies available. So Nuxt two was a little bit limited um, in its uh, de- development because it's a major version two, so you can have no breaking changes in Nuxt two. Uh, Nuxt two is tied to Vue two. So uh, there were a number of technologies that came to uh, a major version at the end of the uh, sort of uh, Nuxt 2.13, Nuxt, um, such as Webpack. Webpack moved from Webpack 4 to 5. Post-CSS moved from Post-CSS into 8. Um, and Vite was born as well. 
uh, in a similar kind of time frame, as well as view three. So, so we suddenly have all of these new technologies around, in, including Veep, which is um, which is gr- great. Uh, but, but, but also, also, also Webpack. You know, there's a new version, a new major version of Webpack with with, with changes. You can't upgrade next two to that without breaking a lot of people's applications, and that's one thing we don't really want to do, not not deliberately anyway. So, and that was also partly maybe why I would say Nux3 took as long to develop as it did, because it was a case of, uh, it, it has to be, it has to, everything has to be pushed to Nux3. And so every new technology or upgrade that we need to make, it's all starting to happen in Nux3. And we don't want to defer anything because that would then be another major version to Nux4. So it became a really big project that a, a pretty, impressive and exciting one with lots of, of benefits. And I think the people who are using Next 3 in production now, at least the ones who talked to me about it, tend to think it was, it was, a, it was a, a really a good, good move and a great experience for them. Um, but uh, one of the decisions we made early on was that we wouldn't just keep Webpack compatibility with Next 3 which we could have done. We could have kept Webpack 5. Um, but Webpack... But Veet uh, had a really interesting premise, uh, which you obviously know about, which is the idea of starting from the browser's module graph and working uh, the, the browser's request, what it needs to display the page, and working back to the dependency tree rather than getting everything in place. Um, and Webpack, interestingly, does have an equivalent to this called lazy compilation, which um, which is definitely worth exploring. But we didn't want to, to uh, leave that by the wayside. So Nux3 was built from the beginning, uh, from a very, very early point anyway, in its, its uh, planning to support both Feet and Webpack. And that has driven a lot of things. So we developed, um, Anthony Fu, uh, one, of, one of the team developed a, a, a library called Unplugin, which allows you to write plugins that work in lots of different ecosystems, ESBuild and Rollup and Veet and Webpack and maybe more. The idea is that there's this consistent uh, interface for writing them, which not, um, not unsurprisingly resembles a Vite, uh, like a Vite plugin or a Rollup plugin is effectively the same kind of thing. The Unplugin takes care of, of, sort of transforming that into, say, a Webpack-shaped plugin when, when, when it's needed and so on. Uh, and uh, so, so we had to do that. And we've had to make sure as we've added new features that's not been... You know, deeply tied into one uh, one bundler only. Um, even now, actually, you can bring your own bundler to Nuxt. Uh, if you if you write your own implementation, it just has to have uh, an object with a, a bundle method, and you you can provide that to Nuxt, and it will call that. Uh, and then whatever it produces is the Nuxt bundle. So it's it's built to be extensible. Uh, but but how does Vite make Nuxt possible? Well, I guess probably it would be more accurate to say, how does Vite make Nuxt 3 possible? Because a lot of the things that Vite enables are some of the new things we brought to Nuxt 3. So um, I, don't, <laughs> I don't know how much <laughs> in detail you, you want to go, but but a, lo- a lot of the things um, th- that we've done have been built on uh, Vite plugins. So I, I did a, a little count b- before um, the conference and we discovered we have 11 Vite plugins in our in our. Uh, Nuxt, part of our app, and um, and they all do different um, and important things. A lot of them are s- sort of uh, standalone, so you can uh, effectively develop a new feature in a plugin, 
you can integrate it with Nuxt. Uh, and then that is a sort of, that's a feature that can be um, rationalized on its own. It can be understood and comprehended. You can see how the plugin works. Uh, it doesn't tend to interact hugely with other parts of the app, of the, the core Nuxt uh, internals, I should say. Um, and so that's a really, really good and agile way of, of developing uh, from my point of view. So we often um, have, so we have a number of ad hoc modules, which is our internal term for, for them. Things like the view router integration. Uh, you don't have to have view router integration in Nuxt. You can have a minimal app without a pages folder. Um, and, and so all of the, all of the way we built that was in a, in a module on its own. So easily um, extractable. It can just disable itself if it's not needed. Uh, and that means that Nuxt itself can be quite, well, quite composable. Um, and it's, I mean, it's the best way of adding functionality to Nuxt. Uh, if, if a user wants to contribute in some way, often building a new module to make a proof of concept before uh, then making a PR to Nuxt and, and adding it to cores is the best way to go. Um, and I think all of that means we're able to work quite quickly with Feet. So you, you spin up a new module, you create uh, probably a Veet plugin as part of that, you write it using Unplugin so it works with Webpack and the rest of the, the ecosystem. Um, you build a feature, um, and it is it is just glorious how 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 quick that whole process can be. Um, and and I think you know I'm, I'm talking about it as as though it's, that's just Veet, but it's not just Veet. I mean the the whole plugin model and the way those plugins work uh, and the, the intuitiveness of them as well is really due to rollup. I think so. Uh, I mean the the format is 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 mostly same that that is how they how the plugin works it's how the pipeline works and as somebody who's written webpack plugins as well i i think writing rollup plugins is is a lot lot easier um lot faster um work um i don't i don't know what you you feel no no i was just i was you kind of you kind of answered my the question i was going to ask was the, the way that you were describing about Describing the utility that Vite was bringing, I was going to say it, kind of, it almost sounds like you're just saying that Vite is a, a convenient, I don't know, like bridge or implementation maybe of roll-up plugins that kind of empower this whole ecosystem to work in a more modular way. Um, so that that was the only insight I was going to offer. But I think I think I'd, I I have I've never written a Webpack plugin, so it's hard for me to like totally empathize with that struggle. Um, I have to take your word for it. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think you, you know. Uh, it's well. You don't have to now. You can write write it with Unplugin, and uh, <laughs> and you have have a Webpack plugin out of the box. <laughs> yeah, just, yeah. But um, right, right. Yeah. So um, I mean that that whole thing has been 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 good, and I, I will say that uh, Nuts three development has been quite quick in terms of implementing new features uh, from idea to RFC to um, implementation has been quite quick, and so it's been great to to be able to do that. I'm I'm not even touching, I guess, on the speed of Veet, which is the major thing I think that made made people adopt uh, Veet so quickly in the beginning, because it wasn't the first framework that offered this idea of let's let's uh, use the dependency graph of a, a like a, a page or or a, a component to just to determine what we build. Uh, I mean, there was Snowpack as well, which was really groundbreaking and uh, and innovative. And this sort of idea of, of um, um, the minimum required. You don't need to perform some kind of massive build before you can make a first request to your own server because you're not 
displaying everything. You're not loading every component. Why should you have to do all of that? Uh, and I think that um, the fact that I, I can just spin up a reproduction or a sandbox or develop something um, in a matter of seconds or even milliseconds, uh, as opposed to, you know, 30 seconds or, or a minute. I mean, that, that I, I probably don't even have the ability to count uh, how much time that, that saved me. So um, it's, yeah, it's definitely. I agree. Yeah. It's, it's profound. Yeah. As soon as you, as soon as you do it, we had, we had uh Patak on a while, a couple times, but a while ago. And I, I was just couldn't, I couldn't quit talking about like how incredible it is. Like the first time you spin up a project, it's like, as it grows, it's just like, it's still the first time you spin it up, it's really fast and it keeps growing. You're adding to it. And it's like, this is so fast. Like it's just almost a whole new, um, I don't know. Just it, the, the whole feeling of dev is different. It's like so responsive, so quick. It's like the fastest feedback loop I've ever really had as far as development experience. Even like if I've got a test suite running against some, you know, little express service or something on the back end, I'm like making changes to it. The feedback loop is still longer there than just like, you know, control S update less than a second. A lot of the time it's just, it's staggering. Um, yeah, it's, it's really cool. What else, what else in, um, in, in Nuxt was kind of empowered by this, this, you know, commitment to shifting to V. So, um, I mean, some of what we, what we, quite a lot of what we do is, um, is implemented, implemented with, with Vite. And I guess that's probably what, um, I mean, nothing in, in Nuxt can be only, uh, influenced or, or, or due to Vite because we have, we are a multi-bundler framework. We have, we have to be. So, uh, I think probably the only major feature we have at the moment, which is Vite only, is, uh, apart from things which are unique to Vite um, itself, um, is our style inlining. So at the moment, we hook quite heavily into the roll-up, well, the Vite build process to extract uh, CSS from components as they're being built. And um, so normally in a server build, you don't have any CSS. CSS is just omitted entirely. And it's in the client build as a separate CSS file. Um, and in some cases, I think if you're using the Vite legacy build, you might have CSS in line in your JavaScript. But in general, that's something we tr- everyone is trying to avoid, right? Better to have it in a separate file that the browser can natively understand without needing some kind of JavaScript to apply it to the DOM uh, in the form of injecting a style block. Um, so it, we had to, to sort of work outside the, the normal constraints. Um, and, and so we we extract CSS when the app is built and we, um, we create a sort of parallel entry point for the styles of the application. Uh, now, when a, an SSR app is rendered, forgive me, I, I'm sure you, you know, know all of this, but... No, it's, it's, good to, it's good to expand. We have like listeners from all walks of the development uh, ecosystem. So yeah, go ahead. Um, okay. So um, when, a, when an SSR app uh, is, is rendered, uh, a, a, a view app in particular, um, every component that's loaded in to, to make that initial HTML response leaves a record of itself in a little array uh, or actually a set of, of um, component IDs. And then uh, 
we're able to to know what uh, JavaScript bundles to preload uh, in the HTML um, because we know that these will be required on client side in order to hydrate that HTML, uh, for example. Um, but it, this also means that if we know what st- styles, what inline styles uh, match or are needed by those components, we can also inline style blocks for each component. So that we, uh, and this is a very common way of, of developing, of course, in a view application because you have single file components. Each one has its own styles. Um, there may be global styles as well, but um, typically you're not writing a view app with a parallel CSS file. Uh, with styles that are related to your component, um, but not imported by it, you're typically writing it in the same file um, or, or directly importing it into it. So it works quite well. Um, when we build the app, we're able to build this sort of uh, tree of dynamic imports. So uh, you have a sort of registry, an object which has the component IDs associated with dynamic imports. So when you know that, you don't have at the cost of loading all the styles into memory, only the, the actual cost of um, the sort of the registry, the, the phone book. Um, and then the uh, as needed, we can then dynamic import the chunks for each bit that's loaded on the server and render those in HTML. And so, uh, and in fact, if, if it's not needed, uh, if the user turns that functionality off, then there's actually no cost at all to having that information because it won't be loaded and not even the registry will be, be loaded. So um, it's, it's, a, it's an interesting implementation. It's, it's, it's still work in progress. So there are still some things that we, we would like to do. Uh, for example, the tricky bit is what happens, say, on subsequent navigation. You might be able to ensure that you have all the styles in line to match that first page. But what if you, I don't know, hit a button and some new component appears? Or if you... Uh, perform a client-side uh, navigation to another page, you need new styles. So you still need to have CSS uh, in the in your public directory, and you have to make a decision about loading it at some point. Um, and ideally, you don't want to duplicate the CSS. Um, you the, 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 the benefit here is if we can have enough CSS to accurately render the page so you don't get any shift, and then everything that isn't needed, you defer as long as possible so it doesn't interfere with the user um, experiencing and being able to interact with the page. Uh, and so finding that precise balance is something we're still working on, but it's certainly better than it was. Uh, and it's, it's a, it was a, a feature missing from Vue entirely in, uh, in Vue 3, uh, but which existed in Vue 2. So it's nice to be able to, to bring it back a little bit in Next. Yeah, nice. Yes, I, I hadn't... I hadn't considered considered that problem of yeah, like once once you're in the client, and you're yeah doing a client side navigation or something. How do you, or I guess do you you'll need to fill that request. How do you do that without having to build all styles twice? Like you said, what is like what is the answer? What are you guys trying to do? <laughs> what is the answer? If I knew the ent- answer entirely, so I think the, um, I think so in nuts two in view two there were effectively two alternatives. You could either extract the CSS into separate files, in which case there would be nothing inlined from the server, or you could keep the CSS in chunks in the JavaScript, in which case there would be no separate CSS, but all your JavaScript files would be you know, twice or three times as big because they've got big chunks of text, uh, CSS chunks in them. And the way then that happens is entirely consistent 
when that CSS, when that component is loaded, it injects, it inserts a style app, uh, um, element in, in, in the DOM. And that's how the CSS gets applied. Um, we're adopting a hybrid model. Uh, and Vite is, so Vite does this by default. So Vite, by default, as you navigate through your app, um, Vite uh, adds links to the CSS that is required. So uh, Vite adds it to the, the head. The browser knows then to make the request, downloads the CSS, and so you get styles applied out, uh, you know, for free, out of the box. That's just Vite doing it. So um, the the challenge, though, is delaying that behavior. Because if you take a an, an app which has no CSS injected at all, and you uh, load it with Vite uh, on the client side, then Vite will immediately add a CSS, uh, a link uh, to, to your CSS, when it, it sort of, the preload helper boots up. So um, what we're doing is we're we're basically, uh, in the next uh, minor version of Vite, if I call correctly, we will have the ability to uh, handle the IDs that are preloaded, uh, and not just the IDs that are preloaded for JS, uh, JavaScript uh, chunks, but also the, the CSS chunks, which means we can actually use a global helper that lets us make decisions about whether or not this CSS has already been loaded, say by being aligned in the server, uh, or whether perhaps it should be delayed in terms of its, its loading. That's something we've not implemented yet, but I think that is the, the solution basically to let Vite continue to do what it's doing, but give us a little layer of control so we can tweak those knobs and try and optimize that that process. Nice. Yeah, that's that's very cool. And, and, not, and not something I'd really... Um, yeah, again, like spent much time thinking about, especially like uh, at the framework layer, like you guys, you guys being able to kind of step in there and, and make use of that. Or if someone weren't using Nux, but they were using Vite, would they be able to use any of the work that you guys are doing at, like in any way? So uh, that in particular, uh, not yet. Although I have opened a conversation with some of the other, other framework offers uh, in the Vite uh, community to basically see if there's any value in taking this back into Vite so that um, authors can use it. Um, that's pretty tied into to the view implementation because it's view components when loaded that add their IDs to this uh, set. But that's not entirely different from uh, other component-based libraries uh, or frameworks. I think, it's, it's, I think Svelte does something very similar in terms of their SSR uh, implementation. So I think it, it is something that could be quite useful, and hopefully we'll we'll do that. I mean, it's also not the first time that that we've done that. So uh, early on, uh, I think it was still V two at that point. Uh, in Nuxt, we built a uh, an implementation for making your website portable. So your base, the base URL of your website, which is normally just a single slash, but uh, could be changed to something else, some kind of prefix. Um, that was we made that configurable. We also made it configurable where your JS was, um, whether it was on a separate CDN, for example, or maybe in a different directory, not uh, an underscore Nux directory, but something else. And all of that, you know, can of course be configured at build time. But we 
we um, put a lot of effort in to make it dynamic. So it could be configured at runtime. So for example, if you in your development environment um, were building your app, uh, wanted to preview it and test it, but just keep all your assets locally. But in production, you have a CDN somewhere else. It really doesn't make sense to have a, the concept of a separate build of your app that you have to do just to change that URL. Ideally, I mean, if you're following 12-factor methodology, you're, one of the things that you want is to be able to control bits of your application with environment variables rather than having to sort of rebuild it. You should be able to have a Docker image that you can uh, you know, use in your staging environment and another, then the same image that you can use in your production environment and the same image that you technically could also use in your dev. If that, that would, that's the ideal because you're testing the same, same code. The behavior might be a little bit different. Um, the environment might be a little bit different. And so we, we built that for, for, for Nuxt. Um, it was, uh, I think we were quite proud of it, but I was really delighted. I think, um, I don't remember exactly how it happened, but um, Matthias, um, uh, Patak and I were, were chatting about it. Um, and I, I said it would be great to get this into, into Vite. Um, it's, it really, you know, feels like where it would belong. And actually, he, he said that there were a number of other authors, framework authors, also wanting the same kind of thing, to have this concept of um, assets, for example, which are relative to the um, the deployment URL of the or the folder where wherever those assets start. Um, and so I think um, um, the, the whole Vite team put a lot of effort into coming up with a good API, a good understanding of, of what that would look like, how that should be configured, what the right defaults should be, um, and how it would be possible to customize it. So we currently are making use of, use of that uh, to customize how those how um, JS chunks, for example, are um, rendered into the, the um, JavaScript. And it's even possible to customize them in CSS, although um, runtime uh, CSS is is a little bit more complicated if you have an extracted file. I, I still have the idea that it might be possible to do with environment variables, but it's not always not always possible. Um, it's it's that's that's a there's a bit of a to do uh, asterisk around that. But um, uh, that that that's a very specific um, use case for um, basically being able to inject CDN URLs into image sources, for example. In the CSS, like that's not an easy thing to solve, but uh, but is a, is a tiny tiny edge case. <laughs> basically, no, basically it works, and uh, it's it works in in Vite uh, core, which is great because I mean it's it's about moving responsibility to the right place. So again, you know there'll be things in Vite that should be in rollup, things that are Nux that should be in Vite, um, you know things in end users applications that should be in Nux. Um, and so how can you get them to the right location where, where they can be maintained uh, and kept stable so that um, at the end of the day, it all works smoothly together. And, and yeah, I was really pleased about how that worked. Yeah, nice, nice. I have, I have some more questions kind of in this realm, but before I get to them, I do want to uh, implore listeners quick. Um, if you're enjoying the podcast, follow us, subscribe on your platform of choice, do the thing, help us figure out what you guys are listening to and what's good. Um, yeah, it just helps us know where to focus our energy. Um, but yeah, so I, 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 I'm kind of curious. One of the questions I have in my notes here too is, is how do you kind of go about this this decision making process at your guys is um, at the layer you're at in kind of the whole this whole uh, I keep using the word ecosystem, but like you said, there's like the builder and the bundler and roll up and like all this all this stuff, and you guys are you know this very pivotal piece. 
what are what are the specific challenges you think being on on the Nux team that you guys face, um, and how do you again like decide what tooling to to tie yourselves to and where to focus your energy? That's a that's a good question. Um, we've we've certainly built a lot of tooling as part of um, building Nux three. Um, if you've um, not come across it, there's a GitHub organization called UnJS, which is uh, we. It's basically uh, a number of us. I started by a number of us on the on the Nuxt team, um, but by no means limited to Nuxt. Uh, in fact, that's the whole point of it. Um, NJS stands for Universal JavaScript, and the aim is to make JavaScript solutions to problems that are out there that work universally. So they don't work with just one framework, but cross framework, and they don't work in just one environment. So they're not node specific, but they work across environments. So whether that's serverless um, uh, or somewhere that's more worker-based like Cloudflare or Dino. Um, and and so we've done a lot of work creating tooling um, as part of this. And I think, if anything, um, my own self-criticism is that maybe we've been too eager to, um, to create <laughs> too much uh, of the tooling ourselves rather than relying on, on um, other, other authors. Um, I mean, having said that, I, I, um, I think, uh, how do we decide to, to adopt um, tooling and, and find libraries that, that do what we, we need to do? I think the, uh, a very important thing is that we don't want the implementation details um, to bleed through. So, for example, we've just adopted a great, I mean, this isn't a particular example of that, but um, we've just adopted um, a great little tool called Ultra HTML, um, which is written by um, a guy called Nate, Nate Moore, um, and he is um, making a, making another framework, different framework. Um, but he's built this great little HTML parser, um, and it's specifically designed to support um, non-standard HTML. So a, a view, view template is non-standard. It's is mostly valid HTML, but there are some things that are parsed maybe a little bit differently. Um, it's it's valid XHTML, but um, and so um, this, this is a great, great parser, um, and it lets us do some, some cool things in terms of um, detecting. Uh, we, we use it to detect uh, components that shouldn't be rendered on the server, to pass the HTML, find the components, remove them from the HTML so that it's not only that we don't render them, but we don't even execute them in the server bundle. That means that we can avoid you know, calling libraries that rely on there being a window uh, or being otherwise on the client side. So it fulfills a, um, a great need. It's really fast. It's really minimal. I could sing the praises of Ultra HTML all day long. But one of the key things, obviously, in how we implement it is it shouldn't matter which library we implement, whether it's Ultra HTML or some other you know, super-duper HTML that comes along and enables us to do HTML parsing the end user who's using Nuxt shouldn't need to worry about what's under the hood. They shouldn't be have to tie their code into what we're using, because that means you know if if something happens with an, an a library or an implementation that we're using, um, that means we need to sort of pivot or swap or I don't know do something. You you don't want that to be a breaking thing for for everyone who's using your app. And I think uh, we've we've put some a number of things in in place not just in terms of third parties, but even our own tooling to try and reduce those breaking changes. So Nuxt 
uh, we've released a library called Nuxt Kit, which is uh, basically an SDK for Nuxt. The idea that you can, as a module author, um, call a function that does something rather than having to implement it yourself. So you can do something like, you call like Advit plugin. Now under the hood, Advit plugin is going to call a, a hook in Nuxt, and then it's going to push that plugin into an array and first check that that array exists. If it doesn't exist, it's going to create it. Um, and that implementation, we don't plan to change it. But if it does change, then it doesn't matter because the user is calling Advit plugin. They're not worrying about the specific what happens under the hood. So um, as much as possible, we're, we're again, we're trying to insulate users from, from changes that come about from libraries um, or uh, uh, or, or from our from our own um, changing implementations, so I think that is the, probably the key thing that we would we would want to want to do. Nice, nice. So, do you think right now you said that uh, users have you know a choice in in, in build tool, right? Like you you could still go in with uh, on not through use webpack, right? Yeah. So is there any, um, you know, like concerns from the user that they're going to care about on that front? Because presumably there's a reason that the dev is choosing one over the other. So, I mean, from a user, well, from the point of view of a Webpack versus Vite, obviously there are some functionalities that are present in Vite. For example, import globbing that aren't implemented in the same way as Webpack or don't exist in the same way as in Webpack. And then likewise, the other way around. Um, and so if a user chooses Vite versus Webpack, it's possible they might choose to use those specific features and they might, it might not be as portable between them as, um, uh, as, as it could be. Um, but that's their, their choice. That's not something that we've sort of inflicted on them in terms of binding them into a particular situation. So, um, and, you know, I, I really respect if a user wants to do that, that's, that's fine. But we... As much as possible, we want to make it easy to do things in a way that don't bind people and users in. So even our, our underlying server, the, the Nux server is called Nitro. Um, fun fact, it was originally called Sigma in the, in the early days. Nux Sigma, we call it. But anyway, it's Nitro. And um, the uh, we've built that so that a lot of the, the cool things we're doing with Nux work on any framework, on any um so like any serverless framework, any cloud provider. So you can use uh, Netlify or Versal and both will get incremental static regeneration. Um, and you can even use neither and still get something that's pretty much like incremental static regeneration, but obviously, you know, based on wherever you're deploying it. Uh, and the same is true with other kinds of caching mechanisms. And, you know, uh, some of these different... Uh, Platforms have different ways of implementing redirects and different ways of handling uh, adding headers. And some of them are very efficient because they can happen at the CDN layer rather than uh, once you actually hit the server. And again, we can make that possible. But as much as possible, not stopping users from using platform-specific features, but as much, much as possible, we want users to pull in the, uh, the functionality they need in a way that is, works everywhere. Um, and that doesn't bind them into a specific specific place or a specific um, provider. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. I, I like it's intuitive to me that it 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 does it doesn't feel 
like, you know, um, a, a point against any decision made if, if the user is, you know, making a decision consciously to use whatever, whatever tool they're choosing. Um, yeah, my, my, I think my curiosity was more in like, how do you guys determine which of those choices to leave up to the, the dev versus what do you guys, you know, decide is in the purview of the, like, you know, whole, the, the framework should be making this decision, not the developer. Um, I think it's, it's, a, it's a difficult thing to talk about in the abstract. Um, probably is, is. I think you answered it pretty well already. Like, I think, I think, I think we've kind of like backed into it. Um, I, I wasn't like okay. fishing to keep, <laughs> keep digging in there, but I think it is, yeah, like that. I think those kinds of things would be a thing that uh, those decisions would often be tricky for me to like grapple with a little bit when they're not super intuitive. Um, so anyway, I, I think you kind of you kind of shed some light though on on those how you guys think about that in a way that was pretty meaningful um, to me. Um, I think that was kind of the extent of the big questions I have. Is there anything else you wanted to cover that you talk about in the talk, or even just anything you want to point listeners to in general? Um, so I think one of the things that I, I like um, about Nuxt is that it's really possible to configure it, and um, and I, I think I think it's a, it's a great marriage with Vite um, because of again how easy it is to implement a plugin. So actually, while we were um, while while I was actually giving my talk, um, it was pre-recorded, so I was just chatting with people, and um, you know we were able to to engage a little bit there, which is which is great. That's the that's the fun, right? Um, and uh, and. These these guys um, no they hadn't previously chatted before but they they both had a, a need for uh, implementing something that's pretty cool and I'm not going to steal their thunder by telling uh, by saying exactly what it is but um, I'm sure I will um, be really happy to uh, anyway I'll I'll tweet all about it when when it's when it's out but um, they were both working on it and um, I, what I talked about was how easy it is to create a next module and. Um, and create a Vite plugin and take that plugin and actually um, add it into into the app. And and literally, they were like, oh, yes, let's do that. Oh, we've just done it. We've just implemented it. And I think pretty much five minutes after my talk had ended, they were like, yes, we've, we've done this. We've implemented the functionality we were talking about. It's all in a module. Um, and it, I, th- I thought it was, it was super cool. One, they're obviously incredibly um, fast and talented and so on. But I also really like the fact that Nuxt enables that kind of thing that you can just extract, build some kind of, of um, feature or tech or idea, stick it into a module, um, uh, build a Vite plugin to, to do some, some of the heavy lifting for you. Uh, and then the whole thing can really easily be added to an end user's app. So um, give it, I, there are lots of modules on modules.nuxjs.org. That's a great place to start if you want to see how to create one. Um, and yeah, ping me if I can help in any way. I sometimes... Uh, fear that I'm not as helpful as I could be, but but yeah, ping me. I'd I'd love to to help um, people make make something cool. Nice. Yeah. So we'll get we'll get links to next the modules list in your Twitter in the show notes at least, probably more, um, so people can find it. Um, cool. Well, thank you so much for chatting with me, Daniel. Is there anything else? No, it's, it's been a real 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 pleasure. Um, yeah. Thank you so much for having me back on the show. No, oh, of course. Yeah, yeah. It was it was a pleasure talking. It was a pleasure chatting. Yeah, I, I learned so much. I love these episodes where I'm like just kind of absorbing all this info. It's been great. So thank you so much. All the best. Yeah.